What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. I'm Barton Simmons along with Bud Elliott. Kind of a nasty weekend of games, Bud. A lot of rain, a lot of slop. Um, but we, we we have some interesting new storylines uh, to discuss in part because of the COVID stuff. What a weird year this is. Um, because we got some we got some predicaments here for a couple of playoff contenders. One in particular, so we'll, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to Derek Mason out at Vanderbilt. We'll get to Alabama, uh, perhaps separating from the pack. We'll get to anything else we need to get to um, to start the week off after a Thanksgiving long weekend. How are you? Are you recovered? How's the fam? How we doing? Dude, doing, doing really well. Uh, got, got some dirty rice on Thanksgiving and uh, ate, ate all the carbs. Took a little nap on on on. That's on the Louisiana porch. thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a rice that has meat in there, and my mother in law makes it really well. My wife knows how to make it now, so it, it's it's legit. It, it's not something they make very often, but that when they make it, you yeah. That that's I'm taking that as my number one seed at their house over turkey, over mashed potatoes, and that kind of stuff. You you, you just got to go for it. Pairs well with gravy. Hey man, that sounds. I'm ready. Give me that. Give me that Cajun Thanksgiving. How the uh, how the turkey and green beans come out? Well, the green beans I did at the old like we have a new uh, like like super fast cook thing. Uh, like I can't remember what they call it, like, like an air fryer or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what any of that stuff is. Okay. So I tried to cheat on the green beans just to see if this thing would would make it like like I like it. It didn't. You got to do like eight hours of cooking on those green beans. So next year I'll know. But the turkey turned out good. So my first turkey ever got it done. Success. Um, we'll keep on keep on pushing forward for next year. So you ran your bread and butter d- down. You, you scored on your base plays, and then you tried to run a trick play. You never really repped in practice for the two point conversion, and, and should just kick the extra point. And I mean, it was okay. It okay. was just I'm a green bean. I'm a green bean. Like that's my dish. I am. I'm. This is my specialty. I take pride in in an eight hour cook on that sucker, and uh, we just thought I'd give it a try. Just got to learn, you know. The only way you can, the only way you can learn is to fail. So we learned. This is true. Now you could just sit it out, which uh, unfortunately is what Ohio State did this weekend. Reading between the lines, they said that they could have actually played the game, right? Which tells me that they were not, you know, underneath the minimum thresholds that the Big Ten sets out for having to play a game, but also there was the obvious risk, at least the way I read this, and looking at the comments that, that uh, Gene Smith and, and their, their coaches and whatnot made in the press conference in, in deciding to cancel the game this weekend. Um, they would have had to travel, and they would have had to, like obviously the guys who have COVID and Big Ten does daily testing, you set those guys aside. But even so, I think they were very worried about maybe, oh shoot, what if somebody hasn't popped positive yet and their contact tracing around everybody else on, on this trip. Let's shut down the facility. Let's get all these guys quarantined. Let's see if maybe we can we can ride this thing out and not have to miss a second game. Because typically in the Big Ten, what we've seen is if you miss one game, you're probably going to miss the next week next week's game as well. And for Ohio State, which has already had a game canceled, if they if they miss another one, they would not have the minimum number of six games, which is required uh, to play in the Big Ten championship game, which I think the Big Ten should have the rule the AC does, which is kind of like you have to be within a certain number of games of the, the league average. To me, the AC is a better rule there to account for the fact that what if multiple teams have game canceled? Like six seems sort of 
an arbitrary number and could be a tie in their hands. But man, like Ohio State has got to hope this works because if they don't, if, if they end up shutting down and they don't get to play Michigan State next weekend, they'll only have the five games. They won't be able to go. Indiana will be the East champion pretty much regardless of, of what its record ends up being. And Barton, at that point, we will have a big time situation on our hands. So there's two questions here. One is, is Ohio State good enough to go to the college football playoffs, good enough to be selected if they don't have enough games to meet the threshold to land in the Big Ten championship game? The second question is, and this is, and all these questions assume an undefeated Ohio State. The second question is, is Ohio State good enough even if they do make it to the Big Ten championship game with like a 6-0 and record or whatever it is? And I, 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 it, that sounds a little bit like, I don't know, argumentative or hot take-ish or hyperbolic. I just want to, I think it's, I think it's worth at least discussing that because Ohio State from before the season, from like last February, they've been penciled in as a, as a top four team in this, this, this season. And they, they still might be. I'm certainly not saying they're not. But I do think it's time, even cancellations aside, for us to acknowledge that Ohio State is a team that needs to be evaluated. And, 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 and we can't just give them a free pass into the playoffs. Because, Bud, you, you've like you before we got on this podcast, you kind of broke down their their resume, the, who who they've beaten. It's not impressive, and they haven't even beaten them in impressive fashion. Let's, let's give everybody that yeah, resume go for real it. fast. Yeah. So, all right. So let's read this off. These are the current records of the teams that Ohio State has played and will have played if they were to miss this Michigan State game and thus aren't able to go to the Big Ten title game. One and four Nebraska. One and five Penn State, two and four Rutgers, five and one in Indiana, two and four Michigan, and then Barton and I are assuming that their cross division opponent would be Wisconsin uh, in, in that December nineteenth game, which they would play instead of the Big Ten championship game. And Wisconsin is two and one. So combined record of the teams on Ohio State schedule right now, one and four, one and five gives us two and nine. Two and four on top of that is four and thirteen. Five and one there is nine and fourteen. Two and four is, uh, what are we, 11 and 18. So 13 and 19. And they blasted Nebraska. They beat Penn State solidly. They they got it out ahead comfortably ahead of Rutgers, and then they you know kind of screwed around a little bit. Kind of did the same thing with Indiana. Uh, to be honest, like just couldn't put them away and, and weren't, weren't able to throw that knockout punch, gave up a ton of explosive plays. Man, I, I think your question that you asked is a pertinent one, Barton. If the, I think the committee will see Justin Fields, will see their track record under Ryan Day, and wants an excuse to put them in. If they win the Big Ten, the committee will say, hey, they're the Big Ten champion, they're undefeated in the Big Ten, blah, 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 blah. And that just that, that takes this mess out of the committee's hands, I think. If they win the Big Ten undefeated, even if they don't look great, I think they're in. This Your second question, though, is really interesting. What if, what if they do miss this Big Ten title game? Like, with that resume that we just read off, wh- which of these teams, like, would you put them in? 
over a one-loss Notre Dame team, assuming Notre Dame loses to Clemson by, let's say, I don't know, 10 or 14? See here the the so then under that scenario they are sitting at what six and zero and they've beaten Wisconsin six and zero yeah so so they're six and zero they've beaten Wisconsin they've beaten Michigan to finish the season um it, I mean it depends on how they would look I mean that this is this is going to be a season where style points have to matter they just have to um and if some other opponent opposing coach is going to get pissed at you for running the score hey. Tough luck, buddy. Like this is this is the world we live in this season. So you're gonna have to take that that uncomfortable handshake at the end of the game, and you better run up that damn score because I, I don't see I, I don't see how you just sneak by for two games and 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 expect to get in over a Notre Dame team that's played a full slate of games. Like think about like I think the biggest the biggest team that that is 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 a tough set like stuff sell in terms of a comparison to is florida and florida is in a florida is in a tricky spot i mean assuming that they lose to alabama i don't see i don't really see how florida gets in and yet i think you could you could make a really strong case that the way florida looks right now compared to the way ohio state looks right now the eye test i think would, would tell a lot of people that Florida looks better. Um, now that's, that's debatable. That's certainly not, um, you know, that that's, that's not definitive, but you could absolutely make that case. And so what's the, what's sort of the, the disadvantage that Florida is sitting at relative to uh, Ohio state? Well, they had to play a full schedule for the most part. And when you play a full schedule, you might have a game where you fumble at the end of the game and Texas A&M gets you like that might happen. And if Ohio State plays five regular season games, six games total, that's that is an advantage. If if we're t- if we're trying to just keep everyone's schedule clean, and so I think it's um that's why I think this is interesting to just like start to remove the preconceived notions about Ohio State. They I want to reiterate they might be the second best team in the country right now. We'll get to who the first is. I mean I think Ohio, Alabama has has separated from the field. Um, but in terms of what they put on the field, it could be the second best team in the country, but the assumptions have to go out the window at this point. We, we got to start making Ohio state earn this thing. So Florida, I, I think let, let's, let's assume just for purposes of this argument that Ohio state does not get this game played against Michigan state, that, that a couple more COVID positives pop up in, in, in their staff and in their team, whatever, and that they went out, but they're, they're not big 10 champions. Florida loses to Alabama, but other than that, runs a table. Am I crazy to think that Florida would have played three tougher opponents than anybody that Ohio State has played? Because Alabama's obviously won. I think A&M is better than anybody Ohio State would have played. And I think you can probably make an argument that Georgia is as well. Like, I would take Georgia on a neutral field over Indiana. I'm like really no doubt in my mind on that, athlete-wise. And I think I would take them over Wisconsin as well, given how bad Wisconsin looked against Northwestern two weeks ago. I, I mean, are we really going to punish Florida for playing a much tougher schedule and going one and two against the three toughest games combined between either of those two schedules? Like To me, that's a little bit wild. Now, you can counter and say, yeah, but they did go one and two, and the rest of their wins are not over anything special. That, that's, that's fair. Uh, I, I don't totally disagree with that. I mean, 
Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, who am I missing? Missouri. You know, like not 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 world beaters this year. But yeah, man, I, I think you make a really good point on that. Like it, the, the more we dig into Ohio State, right now they they do need to start putting some serious numbers on the board and keeping serious numbers off the board as well with that defense in preparation for the idea they may not go to the Big Ten title game. So, you know, Michigan, I don't know, they got they got those guys' numbers. So that 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 should be that should be a pretty sweet matchup, but it's also not going to help their resume a whole lot because Michigan's is that their their record's looking pretty sparse right now. Michigan State coming off a win against Northwestern. Hey, if you can get that one, that that's nice. Um, and then I guess you're probably going to get Northwestern on the other side of the division if you get through this thing. So, I mean, I, I do think probably at the end of the year, if they get Michigan State, if they get Michigan, if they get Northwestern. I think, and that'll put them at what seven and zero. Is that where we're at? Uh, they would be, yeah, seven and zero. I do think they'll probably get in, kind of regardless of what it looks like. Um, but I do think some of that is due to the baked in preseason expectations for Ohio State. Um, I wonder if you could make the case. Just bear, just 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 think through this with me and correct, and just like put me in my place if, if this is stupid, but could you even make the case that from a resume standpoint, let's say Northwestern loses another game, um, gets into the big 10 championship game with two losses. Could you make a case that like, they're almost better off playing that consolation non big 10 championship game with Wisconsin, just as a resume bump. If it was a computer looking at it, and just just measuring the, the the strength of resume, right? Like if you use Bill Connolly's resume S and P rankings, or SP plus, rather not SP anymore, um, then I think the answer to your question is yes. But the the committee is not based on computers, and I think the committee wants an easy tie, a little bow around it. They're an undefeated conference champion, so I think their chances of going are much better if they are an undefeated Big Ten champion beating some, you know, whatever Northwestern team uh, that hasn't, you know, yet again over the weekend had under 300 yards of total offense in losing to Michigan State. Because the committee just wants easy soundbite type stuff. Hey, undefeated Big Ten champion, done. Like, Pac-12 champions probably not going to be undefeated, right? Big 12 champion we know is not going to be undefeated. We got all this mess going on. ACC could or could not be undefeated. Might have two one losses out of there. You know what's going to happen out of the SEC? Probably going to have two pretty good teams other than Bama there. Uh, yeah, if it's just purely numbers. Certainly not going to the Big Ten championship game and playing Wisconsin would give you better numbers, but it's not. Like I, I think sound bites and the, the the cleanliness of it gives them a far better chance of going if they win the league. And sorry about your Wildcats. Like that, I I, we, I think we knew it was going to happen, bro. but. Yeah, yeah. I got some mileage out of that thing, man. Like we 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 had a good run with Northwestern. They're going to the Big Ten West Championship. I didn't. I I never anticipated they have an undefeated season. So we're we're good. We're good. I can live with that. I was texting Josh Payton. I was like, "Why is Michigan State plus one eighty when they're up two touchdowns? Like this is not like what? I mean, I, yeah, I know what the original spread was, and I know what the algorithm and the live betting metrics say, but like." 
I don't know if the algorithm has watched Northwestern's offense, but like that's not going to be easy for them to come right. back from two touchdowns. No, so, no. Yeah. When you when when Northwestern is not a team that needs to get down by seventeen points or whatever it was. And then uh, the Spartans just go full Tim Tebow with uh, Rocky Lombardi, just like like student body left and right at times, and, and just you know run him a ton and, and end up getting the win there at the end. That was hey man, credit Mel Tucker um, for hey he's come up with a couple of good game plans for a couple of big big wins. I mean, I know Michigan didn't turn out to be much right now, but I mean that at the time that's still a big win. And getting that one over Northwestern that that's that, that's a man that's an annoying team to play. And they beat him. And they didn't have Ricky um, White either. Did you see that? He, he was out for the game. Mm-mm. Yeah, he, he didn't play Mm-mm. for him. He was uh, he was injured, I think. So, um, big time win there in in, uh, in in East Lansing. Yeah. All right. Is the Pac-12 out? You know, Bart, I actually think this may be a controversial take, and I, I, I don't hate the Pac-12, but I think when they were 15th on Tuesday night, I, I think that's – They're already yeah, out. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, just that that would be so much ground to make up. There's not enough like eye popping resume wins out there. You already had Oregon State squeaking by or Oregon squeaking by in one of its games. Certainly now that 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 Jonathan Smith, and we'll talk about him maybe a little later in the show if if we end up having time, um, that that he gets the win there for Oregon State over Oregon. Now now they're I think 100 percent out. I I don't think I mean, how does how does USC get in at this point? How bad they look, they've already missed a game. Um, I, I I can't see it. Yeah, I'm, I think they're just. I, I think they're out. I think it would be, it would be an incredibly dramatic turnaround for either Washington or USC or Colorado. I guess technically is the other one. Um, but it. I guess, and they've already missed a game too. You know. Yeah, it would. It, it's just it hadn't looked good enough. Hadn't looked good enough. You needed one team out there to beat the just absolute dog out, out of everybody, right? Like, like you, you needed Shaq playing against high schoolers and Duncan on every single trip down the court and be like, wait a second. I know it's only six games, but this looks different. Like this looks how we think Bama would look if you pick them up and put them in L.A. And you just don't have it this year. So that combined with the lack of games and, and all that stuff going on out there, yeah, I, I think that's – I, I think Pac-12 is out. I agree. Sorry. Sorry, Pac-12. Speaking of Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Barton, did you see their uh, their EPA, their expected points added on pass plays? No. Uh, 0.76. <laughs> that's is that like, good? <laughs> that's, like, that, that's like typo good. Yeah. Um, I, like, we... We discussed this briefly. We didn't think Auburn would be able to score with them and, and thus Bama would have a lot of chances over and over again and would win the field position battle and, and eventually would hit some home runs. And the, the thing I was actually really impressed with Alabama was they just they stayed ahead of the chain so well. Like they they hit some bombs on long down and distance and they, they didn't hit like that many bombs, but they just they kept hitting singles most of the day and then eventually they would hit a home run, and then when they hit the home run, they had a bunch of guys on base, and it, had, it ended up being like a grand slam, like, like a 65-yarder to your guy, Devontae Smith. And that, all right, as a, as, as a former college safety, that route he ran on, on that, that little skinny shake, I mean, what, what do you do? He's, he is incredible. I think, I think Devontae Smith is it, is, it is like a work of art 
watching that dude play football. Um, such a such a believer in him. Um, tell me what you think about this. I don't know that I'm necessarily of the belief that this is Alabama's best team under Nick Saban. But I do think this could be getting close to a point where this is the this team has there's the biggest gap between this team and the rest of college football of any team of Nick Saban's tenure. Yes. And if you guys are not watching on YouTube thing, I literally pointed at Barton and said, yes, but I was on mute. (laughs) I was typing. I didn't want to type too loud. Yes, man. I think you're exactly right. Like relative to the rest of the field of college football, there's a decent chance that this is the best team that he's ever had. Because like, is Ohio state better than they were last year? No. Is Clemson better than we were last year? I, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I mean, Notre Dame is better, but like still, they, they weren't that great last year. I mean, Oklahoma is not as good as they were last year. LSU is obviously not as good as they were last year. At Bama, like, is this Bama team as good as, it, as last year's Bama team? I, I, think it, I think so, because the defense is better. Defense is better, yeah. Yeah, now was last year's offense better? I, I yeah, I, I I would take last year's offense with with, with Tua is and it, full confident I, weapons. Like what 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 is the what are the what are the advanced statistics tell us on that? Well, the advanced you know? statistics are yeah, I actually think it says that this year's is is probably better. But again, would, that yeah, gets back to the thing that. of like relative to who you've played as well. You know what I mean? Um, and last year's last year's offense didn't even finish number one. Because obviously yeah. you had I mean, Burrow and, and all those guys, right? This team just—it it feels like to me. It all starts with with the offensive line, and just they have so much time for Mac Jones to throw, and nobody's really getting to Mac Jones. And like, like who who's really gotten to them this year? A and M got a little pressure at times, and you have a quarterback in Mac Jones that's just so slick in the pocket. Um, even when pressure's coming, it's not rattling him. His his movements are um are very efficient. He knows where to go, he knows how to get there and how to get the ball out. Like he's pretty he's pretty and smooth I, I, back there. And Sark is doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. I mean, like cl- clearly like Bama Kiffin and beyond is is different than, than what it used to be. But like the the way Sark calls games for them, I I, I just it feels like Things work together well, and part of that is just because they they're in good down and distance pretty consistently. Najee Harris is kind of forgot <laughs> forgotten man on this team, and both you and I have seen him in person. Like that dude's that dude's freaky. We 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 had him and Cam Akers and you know Benjamin on the same practice field at, at the Army All America, you know, four years ago. And Najee was everybody as impressive as those dudes were uh, that, that that week, at least you know by my eye, and. He's what the fourth best player on the offense right now? Maybe I don't. I don't know. I mean, it depends who you ask. I think uh, a lot of people still would 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 point to him as. I mean, I, I'm on my Devonte Smith for Heisman campaign, and I got a lot of people saying no Najee, and you know, obviously there's okay. plenty of people saying no Mac Jones. Um, some people are saying no Alex Leatherwood. Um, so it's it's. I think that's the that's the beauty of it. Like it is such a complementary set of pieces, 
And the remarkable thing is they lost two first round wide receivers last year and then another first round wide receiver to injury this year. Like they don't even have Jalen Waddle. And I do think that's another thing that makes Devontae Smith's success so incredible is, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. John Mechie is a good player. But I also, you know, there's because there's an uh, John Mechie's number eight, Devontae Smith's number six. The numbers kind of look similar. It's it's not hard for me to tell the difference between those players. Like wh- like the numbers look the same, but I can tell who's 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 attacking that football by like the way they attack the ball, the the you know the the way they operate. And uh, John Mechie's a stud, but but he's not Jalen Waddle and he's not Devonte Smith, and it's still it it's, it makes what Devonte Smith does is just so much more impressive. Um, but that's just that that that's you know they got Brian Robinson's or backup running back who's who's good too. They got this just absolutely um, I don't know uh, pugnacious offensive line like just you know just a bunch of just just big old nasty dudes and and the defense now is really starting to to come into its own. It's it's uh, they've. I feel I feel pretty. I actually looked before we went at, before we started recording, sort of where they're at points or yards per play defensively, and I think they're like twenty fifth or something. Um, but their last four games have been all like four and a half yards or less every game. So they're just now getting rolling with a lot of young guys flashing. I just think Alabama is. I wouldn't want to play them. No, clearly, Barton, it's some advanced analysis that you get on this show for us to tell you Alabama's good. But, guys, like, this is different. I mean, they, they're they operating at a level that that nobody else is operating at. We should probably mention, because of the media talking point, that Nick Saban didn't even coach this game, and, and they, they were totally fine. 54% success rate throwing the ball is unreal when you throw it at the depth that they do. And they throw the ball deep. I mean, Mac Jones is not chucking a whole bunch of screens. I mean, he throws a couple screens to Billingsley and, you know, whatever. But, like, his throws are, are like, pretty decent throws. A lot of them are traveling, you know, 10-plus yards in the air, and they're, they're throwing up a 54% success rate throwing the football. is That's crazy. That, that, that's just they're, – they're playing pitch and catch at depth. And teams that post these kind of pitch and catch numbers don't do this. They, they're, they're these teams that dink and dunk you. And Bama's like – Oh, I'm not supposed to throw for 80% completions that, you know, chucking the ball that far down the field. It, it's just different. Um, there was another team I will mention briefly here on Saturday. I don't know how, how much you, know, you got eyes on this or not. Welcome back, Trevor Lawrence, because they, they kind of yeah, did the watch same it. thing for a while to pit. I watched almost none of it, so give me the, give me the breakdown. Okay, so early on, I will say it was a little bit turnover-fueled. Uh, Pitt came out and did not look very sharp. Clemson came out and looked, I mean, not surprisingly here, really, really sharp. Uh, but I, I looked up at one point, I think Clemson had 360 yards to 57 for Pitt, and we were like 20, 20 minutes into the game. Like, oh, okay. Like, I've seen Pitt in person. They're pretty athletic. You know, like, they're they're not a bad team. They they are kind of hot and cold at times, but they're not being outgained 300 by 300 yards 20 minutes into the ballgame bad. And, Trevor Lawrence comes back 26 of 37 for 403. The run game, you know, okay, not great, but just through the air, they they kind of woke up 
Cornell Powell re- really was killing it. Amari Rogers continues to kill it for them. Uh, they, they pass protected pretty well, ultimately, on, on the day. There was a, <clears throat> early in the game, um, they had a clip on the sideline where, like, Joseph Ngata and um, Justin Ross and Frank Ladson were all like out of their pads, wearing masks, just hanging out. Like these are all, look at all these freak shows that are injured at the wide receiver position for Clemson. And I think even like the next play, Cornell Powell caught a touchdown pass. And that's another one where it's like, it's it's remarkable how much they're missing in the pass game. Yes. And yet it still keeps on clicking. And in fact, probably is starting to find its, sort of find itself a little bit at this point. My, My question for Clemson is like, how good can this young defensive line, like, can this young defensive line get to a dominant level? Because actually, with Bama, we're seeing some of these young studs with uh, Tim Smith, who, I mean, I, to me, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, he was playing left field for his high school baseball team at like 285 pounds. And then he balloons to like three, I don't know, three a lot, right? <laughs> Whatever it was. And then Bama, Bama gets him into shape and, and he's playing. He's playing 30, 40 snaps a game for Alabama now and, and playing really well. Uh, Will Anderson and those dudes. Can Clemson's guys, can, can they get to that level and stay at that level for this playoff run? And, and can some of those vets get back? Can, can Tyler Davis get back to his form and, and dominate for them? Because I think like, if you're going to beat Alabama, you're going to need to be able to affect Mac Jones without blitzing too much. We saw this for Clemson last year. They had to bring probably a little more pressure against Joe Burrow than they wanted to bring, and ultimately got him. Clemson's got to be able to get get more rush with four and five, and not six. Even though I know Venables is a master of all those exotic pressures, um, we'll see if they can do it. But that that was a that was a pretty impressive first step. It kind of reminded me a little bit of LSU Ole Miss last year. Uh, I was looking at the live betting stuff, and I remember distinctly last year I got plus fifty six and a half in game. <laughs> on, on Old Miss LSU because the computer couldn't process like just how bad this beatdown was early. And in this one, I got plus 47 and a half and plus 48 on Pitt. I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm down. Clips <laughs> like like <laughs> if Clemson doesn't call off the dogs, though, they they cover that. And 52 to 17 is, is a nice final there. I did notice it was like 30 to nothing in the first quarter. And then I looked up in like the third quarter, and it was like 38 to 10 or something. I was like, oh, all right. I see you, Pitt, hanging around. Yeah. Uh, first quarter summary, two, 264 yards for Clemson, 19 for Pitt. Yeah, that's, that's, that's on a, that, that's on a um, war path right there. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's Dabo pissed off for sure. Um, <laughs> all right, so one team that, that had a pretty nice weekend and another in Bama, but one team that did not, and ultimately it ends up leading to a firing up in your neck of the woods. Uh, Derek Mason let go uh, by Vanderbilt. I think he coached for six plus seasons, and his record was pretty bad. Uh, came in as a defensive guy from Stanford. Defense at times was okay during his tenure at Vanderbilt. Like it was certainly almost always the better unit. Offense was pretty much. A, a struggle, I think we could say, for for six plus years. We talked about this over the summer, but I, I know you have some new thoughts, and I have some new thoughts on this. I, this is very much in your neck of the woods. You know, Vandy people a lot more than I do. What what, what what's kind of the word up there right now? Yeah, this was this is interesting. I think um, 
the nature of the season, um, how uncompetitive they've been, and and really like the the amount of attrition that they felt. I think part of the issue here is, and this is why this is the whole like all this pandemic, you know, revenue deficits, optics in a, uh, you know, during a pandemic of a firing, like all that stuff gets thrown out the window when you start looking up and be like, well, where, where are we going to be next year? You know, if this is what we are this year, like wh- how, how is this going to impact the future of this program? And it was getting to the point where the next year is going to be ugly. And so I think they had to make a move. They did. It's going to be, I actually talked to, to, um, We'll call him an industry source earlier today who said that, uh, you know, that this is a, this is a job that a lot of people want. Now I'm not necessarily saying like you're going to steal another power five coach. I'm just, but, but in terms of group of five head coaches, this is an appealing job to them. And a lot of people sort of wouldn't assume that, but, um, given the, the city of Nashville, which is booming, which is a great town, great place to live. Uh, given that you can go six and six indefinitely and, you know, they'll build statues of you uh, and you'll have great job security. I think that's, um, that, that's definitely of note. It pays well, it pays really well. It's uh, it's in the sec. So this is actually a job that does appeal to people. And so it's really, to me, it's, it's, it's a, there are some obvious candidates and they all sort of fall under this um, each little bucket of, of what you need to win at, at Vanderbilt, right? There is – so probably the, um, the top name that's bounced around is Clark Lee. He's the, the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. He isn't in the obvious bucket from a profile standpoint because he's a defensive coordinator. He's not a head coach. He's, but he is a guy that's from Nashville originally played at Vanderbilt, graduated from Vanderbilt. He's very close with Tim Corbin, who is the becoming this like, you know, legendary baseball coach at, at, at Vanderbilt. Um, and he has obviously a great feel for what Vanderbilt needs. And, and so he's got, and he's a, just a, a superstar coordinator. Um, and so I think he, he sort of fits in the nose Vanderbilt, um, bucket, right. Uh, the other bucket is the, uh, we'll call it like the, um, the uh, like ne- next level offense, like the modern offense bucket, right? Which is Jamie Chadwell. We've talked about him, Coastal Carolina, you know, Vanderbilt needs to do something different offensively, bring a little juice, you know, get some, get something going on, on that, that gives people some, a different look in the conference. Um, Jamie Chadwell, I think is a guy that's going to get some, some uh, attention here. Uh, there's the sort of culture builder guy, which is Will Healy at Charlotte. Uh, a lot of people at Vanderbilt are familiar with him because of what he did at Austin P. Uh, right now, he's in the midst of trying to build this thing at Charlotte and um, young, super energetic, uh, and he brings that element to the table. And then there's a service academy deal, um, which a lot of people have been c- clamoring for a Vanderbilt-type program to run is, is, is do, the, do the triple option stuff. I think Jeff Mockin is probably the at Army is probably the top candidate there, um, and from that bucket. Uh, then the only other th- ones I could sort of think about um, there are the sort of just knows how to win guy, and I think that yeah, you know, that's kind of the Willie Fritz, the Lance Leipold at Buffalo. Willie Fritz is at Tulane, 
those types. And then maybe, you know, the hot shot assistant, you know, maybe like a Tony Elliott uh, at Clemson, the offensive coordinator, maybe a Charles Huff, the uh, running best coach at um, Alabama, who has coached at Vanderbilt briefly under James Franklin. So that's kind of the, the big list to me. Uh, I don't know if I've forgotten anybody. I think it's a compelling list, honestly. And I think you can find a really good name on there. And I think that this is a job that has a great opportunity to make a really savvy hire right now. So I, I think each of these guys have some interesting. We're probably not going to break down every single one on this show. I Look, if, if they had just come off an offensive guy, right, who failed, I think Clark Lee would be a slam dunk. As, and I didn't know he was tight with Tim Corbin. So like that, that makes me feel like that, that's probably going to be, uh, I don't want to say a favorite for the job, but, but somebody they're going to look at really closely because Tim Corbin, like he, he pulls a lot of weight there. But if typically what we don't see in these hiring and firing patterns, we, we do not typically see schools go defense back to back because of the fact that typically when a defensive guy fails, it's because his team just can't score any points. Vanderbilt, has a chance to finish scoring less than 100 points in a 10-game season this year in SEC play. And like diehard, diehard fans don't really care how you, you know, how you lose. They just care that you lose or that you win. But your casual fans, they, they like points. They, they like scoring. There's a reason all these, all these rules are written in such a way now in the NFL and college that they favor points. And I think there is that fear that if you hire a defensive coach, what happens if you get a must champ, right, or approve it? Or I mean, now Pruitt hasn't totally failed yet at Tennessee yet, but like if they don't start scoring points, he'll be in the same bucket as the must champ. I, I think the timing on that for Clark, Clark Lee makes it a little bit tougher because they did just come off a, a defensive coordinator who had never been a head coach before. If they can get past that, and if Clark Lee can you know, kind of show them his plan for scoring points in the SEC then I, I think that would make a hell of a lot of sense. Everybody you talk to loves Clark Lee. I think he's super bright, good recruiter, like a, a guy who's going to be a head coach at a major program in relatively short order, at least they think. With, with Fritz, I, I actually think there are some interesting things. And one of the guys who listens to our show, uh, he tweeted this at us. Did you see this tweet tonight? He actually brought up this point. He said, because um, I, I resurfaced some of our comments over the summer about how Vandy probably needs to be a special prep type of offense, something that you don't you don't see every week and something you if you if you if you don't take them seriously, they can catch you, you know, catch you kind of napping and they can get those two wins in conference to get to a bowl game combined with a four and oh in the non-con. Uh David Roy on Twitter uh, who listens to us, he says, I think Fritz makes sense for the reasons you mentioned, differentiated offense, et cetera, but also because he, he coaches at a private selective school that is a distant second at best in its home big city as far as college ball interest and also competes with NFL for attention. He knows that landscape. That's actually a pretty inter- interesting point, right? Like Tulane is, gosh, it, within the city of New Orleans, like fourth or fifth, probably at, at best. He does run that triple option offense, but it's not the traditional like Jeff Munkin style under the you know under center, nothing but flex mode type stuff. Um, that that would be an intriguing hire. I know he's got a pretty good young staff there that that a lot of a lot of their coaches respect. So, man, I I think. You had a good comment on Twitter too. You said whoever takes this Fandy job needs to be interviewing Vanderbilt as well, and I, I think I know what you mean by that. But I, I want you to expound upon that because I, I think that's a really good thought. Well, Vanderbilt is a job 
that is at a disadvantage in the SEC because it's going against all these blue blood juggernauts that are pouring all these resources into the, into the facilities that have these massive, uh, rabid fan bases, these mass, like, and Banner has plenty of money, but it's not all going to football. And if you're, and, and, and you've basically got to demand that the administration, there's a new athletic director and a new chancellor at Vanderbilt, and you have to demand that like they're behind you and they're going to support you and they're going to give you the things you need. They're going to give you the, the money to buy st- for staffing. They're going to give you the, the, the facilities. They're going to, I mean, get it in the contract. And I would even go so far as so Candace Story Lee, who's the new athletic director, if she goes into these interviews and if she isn't challenged by somebody to 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 be if she isn't challenged by someone and, and almost made to feel uncomfortable about like what what what's going to be asked of her uh, in the job then she, then then she isn't hiring the right person like if they're going to do this i think that that job has to be built sort of collectively um and again i think that in terms of the candidates i mean will healy did that at austin p will healy that that was a program that was the worst in college in, in college football period and he basically demanded out of the administration. And now he had an athletic director who's willing to work with him. And Ryan Ivey, who's now at, um, I think, uh, I don't want to say it, but he's. he's it's, it's in Texas, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know, uh, Sam Houston State, maybe, or one of those. Yep. Um, no, I, I think you're right on that. And, and, and so, anyways, that, that's, that, that's, that's how he built that. I mean, Clark Lee, the, obviously, the appeal there is this guy that he knows what Vanderbilt needs. He knows you know, the, how, what an uphill battle that is at times. Um, and so he's got to, you know, he, he knows how to, 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 to battle that. Um, but there's also, you know, you can make a case too, that like you said, Willie Fritz, uh, Lance Leipold, like guys that have won with limited resources, guys that are, can be resourceful. Um, by the way, Buffalo, you know, the number one team in the country in yards for play and offenses. Got to be Buffalo after this weekend, right? Buffalo Bulls, baby. <laughs> Number one in the country over Alabama and all of them. Um, but anyways, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I think um, it's a really unique opportunity because of some of the things I mentioned earlier in terms of why it, it, there's some appeal to the job, but you better come in with your your boxing gloves on, ready to go to battle with the administration and make sure they're they're behind you because if you're not, then you're, you're just, it's never going to be a successful program. So let, let, let's pretend you're Candace and I'm any candidate. I'm going to come in here and ask you some questions real quick. All right. So I, I see that in 21, I mean, look, we both know with the attrition and all the transfers and issues we're going to have, like this, that, that's going to be like a year negative one scenario for me. If, if I'm going to take this job, and, and I'm certainly interested, Candace, but like I'm, I'm going to need some runway here, right? And like, I, I'm, we're going to both just need to level with each other. Year one's going to be painful. And we're going to start making some steps in 22. I, I really kind of want to target 23 and 24 as, as years where you know, maybe I can start competing to, you know, win more than one SEC game, right? This is a long-term rebuild with, with, with the roster given the current transfer situations. And I'm going to be smart in the transfer market, but I want to build this thing up with my way and my vision. And part of that is, I need you to schedule me four wins a year in the non-conference. Let's, let's be real. We're, we're going to get all the entertainment possible in our schedule via our conference schedule, which is why we're, we're in the SEC. Um, 
I mean, like I'm already using the word we. I obviously want this job, but like this schedule, check this out. We're playing Stanford, Wake, at Northern Illinois, at Hawaii, at Wake, Virginia Tech, SMU <laughs> at Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, NC State at Stanford, and at NC State in the next eight years. I don't need any power five teams that have made a bowl in my lifetime on this schedule. Like, let's be real about this. If I want to go to a bowl game, I need four and oh. That's a bad FCS team. I only had to prep for. That's like I need UTEP and probably UTSA. I, I want two schools out of Texas that start with UT and not, or not the Longhorns, <laughs> right? I mean, like, like that, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. I, I want I want like a 10-year deal with Kansas. If you guys expect me to make a bowl game with any kind of regularity, that's what we need. We need that 4-0 in the non-conference. Ever since this league expanded and we added A&M, we've been getting our butts kicked. And that, like that's that's just harder. So Maybe those schedules were made back when James Frank was winning nine games and they had to you know, schedule seven years in advance. Um, these are tough. I know, man. It, it's Yeah, that is, that is what Vandy has to do. Until they get it rolling. And obviously – you know, when you get a roll and then you got to, you know, schedule six years out and then you might not be rolling by the time the game comes. But I agree. You got to You got to get those wins where you can get them, continue to get those bowl practices, continue to build that program up because that, that is the way. And that's why I think like that, that's why I'm a, that's why I think the Clark Lee hire makes a lot of sense is because he is someone that I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what kind of offense he brings in year one. I don't know what his offensive coordinator hire is going to be or, or anything like that, but I would anticipate that someone that's going to have a really strong player development, strength and conditioning, um, teaching, like the, 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 the details of building a program and building a culture, because I do think that, I mean, look what Kansas has like tried to quick fix it like three different times. And Jeff and Long is such a, uh, dude, he's such a bad AD. Terrible. Like, <laughs> but like Bielema. Kind of a failure there at Arkansas. Had the one good year. Then he's like, "Oh, I know what. I'll, I'll go hire Les Miles, the guy who couldn't win with like ex- except for that one year with LSU level talent. I'm sure. I'm sure he's the right guy to, to take and fix Kansas. Like, it, I, yeah. I don't know. We're, I don't disagree. We must be in the wrong game, man. Like, like he keeps getting hired, keeps getting good jobs, and and shoot. So let me ask you this: Is Clark Lee the only? non-head coach experience candidate that you would consider for this just because he knows the Vanderbilt job and the Vanderbilt market? I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, I don't know who's going to pop up. I mean, I, he's the only one that's obvious to me. Again, I talked about Tony Elliott and Charles Huff, maybe oh, as true, guys true. That, that could be could be in the mix as a guy. I don't I, I, no, That's not reporting that. I just, you know, I've seen those names float around. Will Hall is another one at Tulane I've heard of that that is getting some buzz. Um, obviously, Willie Fritz. Is, is it would be a potential candidate too, I would imagine. But but I think he's Clark is would be the most compelling name, I would imagine, from the coordinator ranks. Um I'm just I would be fascinated to know what it you know how tempted Vandy would be to go to the service academy route to go to a Jeff Mockin, maybe run the triple option. Um because I do think Jeff Mockin, wherever he ends up going, as he'll leave eventually, I think he'll I think he'll be good. Um, I think it'll be successful. Uh, so it's an admission though, man. It's it's an admission on your ceiling. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot sure. of ADs don't want like a, 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 a lot of ADs don't have the guts to tell their boosters, "This is a good plan for us. We are Vanderbilt. This is going to give us a chance to go to bowl games like every other year." That's a pretty damn good good thing at Vanderbilt. It's much better than we've ever done under almost any head coach. But we're not going to win the SEC with this. Now, what they what they're not going to say is we're not going to win the SEC with any coach. So like that stuff should be off the table, but it's hard to admit that. Like we've, we've talked to ADs about this before. And a lot of times off the record, they'll say like, look, I can't hire one because I can't sell it to my boosters. I can't get these people to donate to me. If they know that I'm aware that our ceiling is eight and four, right? Like I've got to sell the dream and the vision to them. So I can't hire a guy that runs triple option because they know you can't win it big with triple option, even though, like as far as sustained success, that is certainly the best option for us. It's an admission. It's, it is. This is good. This is. I'm. I'm. You know the the South Carolina job seems to be sort of winding down to the finish. We we suspect, um, though nothing. Did you get nothing a raise solid off, the, there. off Ray Tanner yet? Because I, I feel like everybody out there is getting <laughs> a raise off Ray Tanner. <laughs> a lot of interviews. A lot of interviews popping yeah. around. Um, but. Uh, I don't know. This Vandy one is is wild because you keep, keep in mind, like this is the one where um, you know Chad Morris was a finalist at one point. Gus Malzahn's been a finalist at one point for this job. There, like, there's been there's been some pretty reasonable names. I mean, again, these were this is before Chad Morris. Um, I guess he was a finalist, maybe even before SMU. I can't remember. Uh, Gus Malzahn, obviously, that it was before he was the head coach at Auburn, but. Um, you know they, they've and they had they had their two hires removed from a really good one, and Derek Mason treaded water there for a few years. Um, so I don't know. This is an interesting job, interesting ceiling, interesting options, and I think they've got I think they've got a pretty pretty decent little pool to choose from. Do you know what it pays? I think close to four. Okay, so three and a half, three and a half, three and a half plus. I think. So, like the, the head coach salary is not really that far off from what like a South Carolina pays. It's more no. like South Carolina probably beats them on assistant pool and like number of anal- analysts and obviously yeah, beats I would them badly on facilities. Yeah, I think that's where you gotta you gotta demand if you're the if you're the coach coming in, that's where you gotta demand the the concessions. Like you bet, like hey, give me my give me my fleet of analysts, give me my recruiting staff. Um. Get in, and then let's 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 get it in in writing on the facilities, um, because the the pay for the for the gig is is pretty good. Awesome, uh, dude. We are like we're at like an hour basically. I mean, uh, we uh, all right. Let's let's throw an ad break in here real fast, and then uh, I do want to just make kind of one point about this early hiring and firing period. Mm-hmm. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit early signing period, and then we're gonna get off this thing. All right, welcome back. Uh, so it kind of occurred to us in, in, in the, the pre-show talk that a lot of these hirings and firings are, are going to occur like after the early signing period happens this year. And this has happened prior uh, as well in, in previous years, but not, not quite to the extent that it will this year because we have like regular season games going on this year, the week of their early signing period. Like there are going to be a lot of games on December 19th. And that's, that's early signing period week. Watch us on the national live show for 24 seven sports, by the way, it's going to be pretty awesome. 
So, dude, I, I, I just I can't help but feel for these kids, some of whom are going to be signing with schools who they've never visited. And then all of a sudden, like they're going to have their coach they sign with leave. I, I really think, and, and I've been seeing this on pop up on Twitter on message boards already. People are saying, "Oh, they get the free transfer rule if if they don't like it." I'm like, I, "Yeah, but I, I don't think that's fair, really." Th- this year, what I think they should do is, if your head coach leaves between the early signing period and the traditional February signing period, you should just be able to nullify your letter of intent, right? Like, to just say, "Okay, like, hold on." That's not what I signed up for. This is absolutely nonsense. I should be able to open back up without having to burn my one-time free transfer. To me, the one-time free transfer should be used. Like if you are a kid who gets on campus, maybe your playing time situation doesn't work out or you're homesick or you just don't like your coaches once you get there. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't have to burn that because the coach you signed with knew he was leaving and left four days later after you signed like that, that's, that's crazy. Especially in some cases when you've never set foot on campus. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this is, um, like you said, I think the fact that we're even going into this early signing period, basically with regular season games, like week of this, what is this essentially amounts to regular season games is, is going to be a really bizarre, uh, situation. And, and the, the coaching carousel, again, because this is so late, the coaching carousel is hitting so late. Um, I mean, right now, this like this past weekend is usually like the last weekend of the season. That's that's really means much. Um, so it's yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be bizarre. Um, I think recruiting is gonna be like the whole idea of get a coach hired before the signing period is is gonna be kind of out the window. I mean, it looks like Vandy, South Carolina are gonna give it a, give it a run, South, Southern Miss and Utah State, but I don't think that's the end of the movement. Um, and you can't be expected to make a hire in a week, uh, which is basically what, what what we're winding down towards. And so, there's, I, I think if kids are, we've we've had we've seen percentage of early signing period signatures tick up pretty steadily over the last what however many years four years. I wonder if it ticks back down this year, just based purely on the uncertainty of the whole thing coaching uncertainty, uh, holding out hope for something to pop for them when they weren't able to get out to see visits. Uh, hey, maybe even you know holding out hope for a spring season in some cases of these guys. Um, I, I, I wonder if that's going to, you know, pretty much all the action's been in the early signing period the last few years. I wonder if this year we, we get back to a little bit more activity in that February date. Yeah, ultimately, I think it will continue over the long term to trend more and more like it has towards the early period. But this year I can see it kind of bouncing back to what we used to have a little bit because you have some states that have not played high school ball yet, right? Like we're waiting on what California, we're waiting on North Carolina, what Virginia. Um, who else has not played ball? Arizona, I think. Sound right? There's a, cu- a couple more. Uh, Arizona has um, Virginia, North Carolina, California, Oregon, Washington, a bunch of those uh, New England schools. Right. Uh, like Massachusetts and Connecticut, places like that. Those kids are probably going to wait in larger numbers than they usually wait because they're going to want to see, like, see, hey, what do I actually get if I play my senior year? Like you said, with the scholarship opportunities, some of the schools are probably going to want to wait a little bit to see who jumps in the portal, right? Like af- after the after this fall semester is done, they may want to say, hey, we, we may not want to sign quite so many 
early. We want to kind of survey the landscape a little bit. Where, where do we stand in, in this portal lottery? Are we able to pull this kid or this kid? And if not, maybe we'll go ahead and extend a scholarship or two later in the process and sign a high schooler in February. But I, yeah, I think you're right. I think we will see a little bit less as a percentage this year of guys signing early, especially because some of them have never visited these schools. Like how many kids is Minnesota, Minnesota going to sign who've never stepped foot on their campus? Kids are in for a rude awakening come, uh, <laughs> come November, 2021. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I, I don't think the coaching carousel is, is slowing down. I think it's just getting going. And so it's going to really hit its hit full speed ahead, like late December, um, early January. So that's going to be bizarre. Uh, but it is what it is. This is the, this is 2020, maybe 2021 will be different. Hope so, man. I really hope so. <laughs> All right. Uh, you got anything else this week? Um, no, ma'am. This will, um, this is the, the, we're getting down the home stretch here. Signing day. Got to start shifting the focus a little bit. Maybe we can do some more recruiting talk here in the next couple weeks. Throw your recruiting questions there in the five-star uh, review section on Apple Podcasts. If you listen, listen to us on an iPhone, just pull up your Apple Podcast. Five stars, drop your question there in the review. A lot of y'all have done it, so we'll be getting the mailbag a little bit more, talk a little more signing day, and then maybe we'll have maybe we'll have a big job pop this week. Maybe Texas or Michigan can go, and, and we can really, really start cooking the grease. All right. All right, man. I'll see you next week.